guys, thank you so much for tuning in. For those of you who I have not had the pleasure to meet, my name is Carissa Brim and I am a partner here at Vintage Church. And I'm super excited because today I'm kicking off a three-part series called Say What? And it's all about navigating difficult conversations. Now before we get going, I do want to encourage you to take a second and download the notes. So there's a link in the description of this video. Download the notes and it'll really help you to follow along because I'm going to cover a lot of information. So let's set the scene. Why are we talking about communication? Why does it matter? I'm speaking to you in the context of a church in the South, so I'm going to go on a limb and assume that you all have some sort of experience with a church potluck. So picture this, you have this fantastic family recipe. It's your grandma's baked beans and you have been hyping them up for months. So everyone's really excited to try them. You take a special trip home, you get that secret ingredient, and then you make it back to your place and you spend all day making this huge batch of beans. Well, now it's time to package it for the potluck. So you put all the beans on a flat paper plate. And so then you carry it out to the car and the beans are spilling over, you're wobbling, the plate's bending under the weight of it all. You get to the car and you put it on the dashboard. No one's in the car with you, so that's where it's gonna stay. Now it's time to get the direction. So you pull up your phone and you're like, you know what? I could go through Mid-City and Lakeview, just hit all of the worst roads. And so you're bouncing along and the beans are splashing everywhere. And you finally make it there and you have like five beans left to share. And you've made a huge mess. Now imagine if everyone else took the same approach. No one would be able to enjoy anything that everyone had brought quite literally to the table. You see, packaging really matters. And I'm going to propose today that communication is exactly that. It's our packaging. And so when we're not careful with our communication, we miss out on the important things that we all have to share, and we make some really unnecessary messes. We're in the context of 2020 America, and I don't have to convince you that we live in an argument culture, right? Somebody's right, somebody's wrong. So we buy into this myth that hard conversations prioritize content and totally disregard relationship. And so for some of us, we don't care. We're gonna say what we want. If it hurts your feelings, figure it out. And for the rest of us, we feel super uncomfortable, so we shy away from hard conversations. Maybe we don't talk to people we disagree with, or we don't engage in conversation about things we don't know very much about. And you guys, this does a lot of damage. It allows divides to fester, and misunderstandings to sidetrack and stall actual important progress. We're hearing really loud and clear right now from our black brothers and sisters that it's not okay to just be silently not racist. Right? We're being called to be actively anti-racist, and we're dependent on communication to do that. And the thing is, as people, we're always communicating. Whether we're talking or we're silent, we're sending a message. And so if we're going to always be sending messages, let's make sure that we're saying what we want to say, how we want to say it. If you've seen the graphic for this, you see the irony, right? Our culture tells us that the louder we are, the bigger punches we pull, the more we shut down someone else, the better our point will come across. But just like the graphic, we see it's immature, right? There's a, a kid yelling in a mic. So I'm here to show that good communication skills really can lay the groundwork 
for productive and effective conversations that can also preserve unity and relationships. So if you're following along in the notes, that's the first one. That is like the summary of this all. Productive and effective conversations can also preserve unity and relationships. So why do we care about unity? Why should that matter to me? Well, I hate to break it to you, but again, I'm speaking in the context of a church series. We subscribe to a separate set of values with a Christian worldview, right? We have a separate set of expectations. And we see very clearly that Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be called children of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, tells us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And what does that look like? It looks like walking in humility with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. <clears throat> so we see here we have to value unity and peace. But do words really impact that? Proverbs 12:18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So here we see that dichotomy. Words can heal, words can destroy. And to take it one step further, James chapter three, verse five through six, tells us that the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider that a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> Woof, right? That's a big deal. Words matter. And so what you'll see here is that the communication principles I'm sharing are deeply rooted in biblical principles that you already subscribe to. And I'm just gonna give you some pointers for how to utilize them well. If you can't tell, I'm very passionate about this. Personally, I have an undergraduate degree in interpersonal communication studies, and so I've had a chance to learn from really gifted communicators who have spent a lifetime to researching this. I lived abroad in Australia for a couple years, and then in Myanmar, and so I have a lot of experience with cross-cultural communication. And it's really hard. And see, the thing is, it doesn't just apply if you're living in another culture. Here in America, just because we're all Americans doesn't mean we're all in the same culture. So those same skills are so relatable to our everyday life. And I've spent the better part of my professional career in hospitality, specifically as an event manager. And if you've ever worked in customer service, you know that the majority of your job is diffusing difficult emotional conversations and preserving the loyalty of the customer. So I have some background in communication, but what's the most important reason that I think you should listen to me? I have a lot of friends out there. I have some family members tuning in. I'm a husband who's listening. And you all know I'm not a perfect communicator. So I want that to be encouraging to you. None of us are perfect. None of us are gonna be excellent communicators at the end of this. But what I can tell you is that I have seen firsthand the power that poor communication can have in destroying relationships. And on the other side, I've seen how just an ounce of intentionality really can bring healing and reconciliation. So as we go about this series, recognize that these words and thoughts are not my own. You're gonna hear me quote Dr. Julia Wood and Dr. Tim Yulhoff quite a bit. They're my greatest teachers. And honestly, this is a huge flyover. 
So I'm gonna give you a lot to think about, but I would encourage you to look at those resources on the notes and dive deeper if something really catches your attention. For some of you, this might be familiar concepts, so just pick one or two things to revisit. And if all of this feels new, don't get overwhelmed. We have a lifetime to figure this out. So pick a few things and really dive into those. The last thing that I wanna, that I wanna say before I get going is that I'm coming to you in the middle of a series on race. I am a white woman standing up here talking about communication. And so as much as I try to diversify my understanding of perspectives, I still have a limited perspective. But what this is not is me standing here telling you how to talk like me, a white woman. What you'll find through this series is that it's actually more about how to understand each other and honestly, how to step outside of our own way of thinking and consider someone else. So this information is important to you no matter who you are and no matter who you talk to. It's important in being corrected in ways that you need to be. It's important in offering correction. Maybe you need to talk through chores with your roommate or discuss finances with your spouse. These skills are applicable to all kinds of situations in everyday life. So how are we gonna tackle this? Here's the brief outline. Today, we're doing Communication 101, so we're going to define communication and look at all that goes into it. And then we're really gonna camp out in the idea of perspective taking. Next week, we'll look at communication climates. Can your relationship really withhold a hard conversation? How do we listen well when emotions are high? And finally, the third week, we'll put everything together and we'll look at how to prepare and organize for a hard conversation. And so I wanna encourage you that each session gets better. So stick along because it all adds up and that third series is going to be so helpful for you. So here we go. Let's start by defining communication. Why are we defining? What's, what's the point of that? I'm not giving you vocabulary so you can go pass a pop quiz, but instead I wanna give you some terms and some words so that when you're talking with people you can start to identify the phenomenon of what's happening. So often we get going in a conversation and we're like, I don't know where this went wrong, but it is tanking. So I hope that these terms help you to be able to identify it and make changes little by little. So this definition, I will give you a heads up, it's pretty lengthy, pretty girthy if you will, <laughs> so don't get overwhelmed. I'm gonna go through after I read it and point out the four things that are most important to understand. So Dr. Julia Wood says that interpersonal communication is selective. It's systemic, unique, processual transactions that allow people to reflect and to build personal knowledge of one another and then create shared meanings. So the first thing I want you to see is that communication is systemic. It's all part of a bigger system. So no conversation takes place in just a vacuum. Instead, conversations happen in the middle of contexts. And these contexts affect what people talk about, how they talk about them, and then ultimately what meaning comes from that. So some examples of these contexts are the relationships, the cultural norms you have, maybe your own personal histories. And what we'll start to see is that these all build onto each other. And so communication varies over time. There might be something that 10 years ago you could talk about, no problem, easy. But because you've had a lot of really hard conversations on the subject, now when it gets brought up, it's immediate emotion, right? Well, that's understandable because communication builds over time. 
The second thing is that communication is part of a process, right? It's a processual transaction. So when a friend sits down to lunch and they start confiding in you and trusting you with really important information, did that conversation start the minute they sat down? No. It actually began as part of a bigger context years ago when you first held the door for them at church. Right? All the things that you do build up to the ability for them to confide in you. So communication takes into account the past. It considers the present, and it has an assumption that there's a future. And so with that, we have an important responsibility to be ethical because our communication is irreversible. The third thing is that communication is personal. So some of you might have been hoping that this series, I was going to give you a checklist. This is how you get your point across. This is what you say. Ready, now go do it. But unfortunately, with communication, there is no one size fits all. You are a unique individual talking to another unique individual. And so the way that you understand each other impacts that communication. So when we talk to people, we have to adapt. And the fourth thing, and this is the most important thing, is that in communication, meaning is created. So meaning is not objective. It's actually something that develops. So Dr. Julia Wood says that we create meanings as we figure out what each other's words and behaviors stand for, what they represent or imply. These meanings grow out of histories of interaction between unique persons. So that's kind of very scholastic, right? Let's, let's look at a funny example. So I'm going to say a word, and I want you to grab an image in your mind. Think of that image. The word is plunger. I want you to picture a plunger. I'm going to assume that we're all picturing a similar thing, the thing that you use to unclog a toilet, right? We're in New Orleans, so some of you might be picturing a bedazzled plunger, some crew of tux action, but nonetheless, it's probably the same sort of thing. Well, when we talk about the meaning that's created, we have two different levels. The first level of meaning is the content level, and that's the literal level of meaning. So as I mentioned, I lived in Australia for a couple years. That's where I met my husband. And one time, we were asked if we wanted our coffee prepared in a plunger. As you can imagine, it was a little confusing. What are you talking about? On a content level, we had different meanings. Because in Australia, a plunger is a French press. <laughs> a plunger is a little thing that you use to make coffee. Well, that changes everything, right? So now we look at the second level of meaning, and the second level is the relational level of meaning. In choosing the words that I'm using, what am I communicating about the relationship? So, back to Australia. The first gift my husband ever gave to me back when we were just friends was a little French press, a little plunger. So now, several years later, if he asks me, hey, do you want your coffee and a plunger? What is he communicating about our relationship? He's acknowledging that we have a special bond, that we shared unique experiences. This is where we get the idea of an inside joke, right? He's kind of giving me a nod, hey, I like you. So when you think about how you communicate, what are you telling the other person about your relationship? Are you showing that you acknowledge their views, their worth? Or are you telling them that you don't trust them, maybe don't believe them? I don't know about you, but if I feel like someone doesn't believe what I'm saying, I kind of rush to the point, skip over things. I don't communicate clearly. Maybe I'm more defensive. And so how we communicate about the relationship impacts how 
uh, effective our communication is. So those are four main parts of communication. Let's look at how all of this can play on each other in one instance of miscommunication. So I have a cousin, her name is Mandy, and she's about a year older than me. And growing up, like most kids, we were in fights. And one day we got in a fight, she kind of disappeared for a little bit, and I heard her mom, my Aunt Joni, mention to someone, yeah, Mandy's feelings are hurt. Well, I heard feelings, so I'm thinking tooth fillings. I walk into the other room and I ask my aunt, hey, I had no idea Mandy had fillings. Well, a note about my family. <laughs> Some members of our family pronounce words just a little different. And so by saying fillings, my aunt was actually meaning feelings. <laughs> Yikes. So I go in, I had no idea Mandy had fillings. Naturally, my aunt was super offended, right? Uh, yeah, of course Mandy has fillings. Another thing to recognize, my aunt and I, our relationship is all jokes. We laugh, the whole family laughs, we play off of each other. So I'm thinking she's just kind of doing a bit. So she kind of upped the ante in her response, so okay, my turn, I'm gonna up the ante. And I say, wow, I had no idea, when did she get those? <laughs> the amount of disrespect, right? So she's super frustrated and she says, Chris, I don't know what to do with this, I'm gonna have to tell your mom. And I say, oh yeah, I dare you, I dare you to tell my mom. <laughs> We're having totally separate conversations, right? So this goes on, as you can imagine, it blows up into this big thing where other family members are involved. And so a couple days later, my parents sit me down and they're like, okay, we need to talk about what happened between you and Aunt Joni. And I'm exasperated because I don't understand what the big deal is. And so I say, geez, I have no idea what the big deal is about these tooth fillings. <laughs> Aha. <laughs> all of a sudden, it all makes sense. And so now it's a super funny joke with the family, like, oh, your feelings hurt. But if you can imagine, if we hadn't had an opportunity to like dive in and really see what was going wrong, maybe to this day my aunt and I wouldn't have a relationship. And so you can see our personal knowledge of each other is feeding in. We're building on each other. The way she responds impacts how I respond. We're reading in the context of our relationship. And so ask yourself, how many times do I see something online or watch an interaction and think, for crying out loud, we all just need to get over this. What's the big deal? We all just need to calm down. Being an effective communicator makes all the difference. So what are five things that effective communicators understand? We understand that we are responsible for how we communicate. So it's not up to the other person to dictate my response. I get to choose. So I need to be mindful and aware that words don't just fly out of my mouth, right? I have an active role in choosing them and in choosing how I respond. The way that I respond will inevitably impact the other person, like we saw with my aunt. The way she responded impacted how I responded. The second thing effective communicators understand is that communication impacts relationships. So the way we talk determines the level of our relationship and where it goes. So I need to make sure that I'm adapting appropriately to who you are. Sure, I wanna stay authentic, but while I'm talking, I need to be monitoring. How are you responding? Do I need to check in? Do I need to adapt a little bit? 
The third thing effective communicators understand is that communication effectiveness is learned. And this is such good news for us, right? It doesn't matter if you've been a terrible communicator in the past, you get to start again today. And there's so much to it that you can sincerely spend a lifetime adding skills to your toolbox. And so as you monitor your communication and you add extra skills when the stakes are not that high, then when you're at that family dinner and someone launches into that controversial topic, you don't have to sit there thinking, okay, here comes a fight. But instead, we can start to get control of it a little bit, and at the very least, not make things worse. The fourth thing that effective communicators understand is that ethical communication is crucial in effective communication. There's a direct tie between effective communication and ethical. It's so easy when someone comes at you and they are flinging insults and tearing down your ideas, it's so easy to just give in and start pulling punches, right? Defend yourself. But see, what happens when we do that is that we just build defenses up. And so it becomes less about understanding the other person and being understood, and more so about, oh, I'm gonna prove that you're wrong, right? And so when we do that, it stops any productive conversation from taking place. And then the real tragedy is that that conversation doesn't exist on an island. So that communication impacts all future conversations. So you're really shooting yourself in the foot. So when you're doing that, you need to ask yourself, what's my real goal here? Do I really want to be understood? Is there really crucial change that I think needs to happen? Because if that's the case, then I'm gonna have to change my approach, make it more ethical. Dr. Tim Muehlhoff says, in order, to sorry, in order to effectively negotiate a difficult conversation, we must appreciate the ability of words to deeply confirm or disconfirm another person. So what he's saying here is, yeah, words are powerful, they communicate ideas, but even more so, they speak to our identity, right? And so when you're talking with someone, you have the option. You can be an upper. An upper is somebody who is positive, calls out the strengths in the other person, maybe notes on their progress, allows them to be human, to make mistakes. You can be a downer. And a downer is someone who points out the flaws in what you're saying, all the problems with your thoughts. And then, lastly, we have vultures. And vultures are really the bullies, right? They're downers on steroids. Sure, they attack your flaws, point out all the problems with what you're saying, but then they make that about your self-concept. Now, some of you are thinking, phew, glad I'm not a vulture. Or maybe you're like, yeah, I know someone like that. But I want you to consider, are there certain topics where you just go full vulture? Or maybe, is there that one person that when they say that one thing, you're ready to go for blood? Because you can be an upper, a downer, and a vulture all in the same conversation. So let's start to be more mindful and aware of how we communicate, because that ultimately impacts how the other person responds. And so lastly, the fifth thing that ethical and effective communicators understand is that the most important thing you can do is engage in dual perspectives. Dual perspectives. We're gonna hang out here for a while because this is so important. 
Julia Wood says we need to be aware of the tendency to see things from our own perspective and then resist that inclination. So sure, we all have a perspective. We can't help that. But the thing is, if we just live on our perspective, we're never going to be effective communicators. We need to step outside of ourselves. It's worth noting that just because you consider another perspective doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but instead you're just simply reserving your judgment of the other person, truly attempting to understand where they're coming from. This is where we get the idea of empathy. We have a lot of counselors out there. I'm sure you're very familiar with this concept. But empathy is the capacity to understand or to feel what another person is experiencing within their frame of reference. So how often do you see someone react to something and you're like, I, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, sure. They're in a different frame of reference than you are. And it's important to realize that just because their frame of reference is different than yours, it doesn't mean it's not valid, and it doesn't mean that yours is right and theirs is wrong. And so we need to resist that temptation to buy into argument culture. And instead, we need to start considering that both parties have elements to contribute to the conversation, to the subject. William Urey says, it is true that a better understanding of their thinking may lead you to revise your own views about the merits of a situation. But that is not a cost of understanding their point. It's a benefit. So what we see here is that by investing your energy into understanding another perspective, you're actually investing in yourself. You're investing in your ability to identify blind spots or maybe misunderstandings and to get a well-rounded view of the subject. So this is important. Let's look at all that goes into perspectives. You have one, I have one. How do these get developed? This is important in considering how I view the world, but also when you interact with people, start to consider what's informing their perspective. So identity. Identity is a huge one. Your race impacts your perspective, your gender, your sexual orientation, your socioeconomic status. A few things that aren't as obvious, there's some physiological things. Do you have a medical condition? Are you on some prescription drugs? Or maybe, are you on some recreational drugs? How old are you? Uh, what significant life events have you lived through? What culture are you a part of? And even more importantly, what subcultures are you a part of? What are your roles? Are you a mom? Are you an educator? Are you in finance? And lastly, what is your sense of self? So if I think that I'm an intelligent, well-educated individual, that's going to have a big impact on how I view the world. And sadly, that's really going to impact my ability to step into another view and not assume that it's wrong. So let's be aware of this as we view the world. Right? That's our perspective. We can't help that, but that is how we view the world. So from there, we take those perspectives, and then we start interpreting things. And that's where we get this idea of perception. So our perspectives inform how we interpret people in, in situations, and that's what we call perception. And perception impacts our communication. How? Well, the way that you perceive somebody and what they do and what they say is going to impact your understanding of them, and then your understanding impacts how then you contribute to the conversation. So sometimes you might think someone said something really offensive. 
And I don't know about you, but I will respond a little snarky. And then chances are that then the other person will respond snarky, and then here we go, we're in a heated conversation. Over what? Maybe there wasn't actually an offense that was intended. So we're gonna look at another definition, and similarly, we'll read it, it'll be overwhelming, and then I'll divide it into three main parts. So Dr. Julia Wood describes perception as the active process of crafting meaning by selecting, organizing, and then interpreting people, objects, etc. So the first thing that we do is that we select. We select things to notice. So kind of crazy, but you don't notice everything that's happening around you. In fact, we choose what we notice based on our background, our experience, culture, motives, all of this reads into what we choose to select. A great example of this is that as I was preparing for this series, my husband and I watched the Netflix series Waco. So some of you may have seen it, some of you might be familiar with the real life events, but basically this series shows a standoff between a religious cult and the FBI. So I'm knee deep in communication theory. I am reading books, I am totally about it. And so as my husband and I are sitting there in the same room, on the same couch, at the same time, watching the same show, I'm running everything through a filter of communication theory. Why did that make them so defensive? If they could just understand this part of their perspective, they would see that that's the root issue, and then they could be more effective, right? That's how I'm viewing the show. Meanwhile, my husband grew up nearby, and so he is filtering everything through a historical accuracy perspective. So he's sitting there thinking, yep, I remember seeing that on the news. I remember that name. I heard that on the radio. Yep, okay, my parents talked about that. So we're noticing totally different things about this same show. And that happens in conversations all the time. We think we're having the same experience as the other person, but we're noticing different things. And so once we select things, then we start to organize them. I once had a professor say that we have to put people in boxes so that we can then take them out. So my question to you is, do you allow people to break out of the boxes that you put them in? And then more importantly, do you actively discard information if it doesn't match that box? We need to make sure that we are organizing fairly. And so we select, we organize, and then we do the hard work of interpreting. And so interpretation is the subjective process of explaining our perceptions in a way that makes sense to us, right? So it's subjective, but we're trying to explain it to ourselves. Now, I'm gonna tell you right now, one of the most important things that you can remember from this series is that perception is not fact. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again, perception is not fact. And we see this so clearly, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has sent a text message to somebody, I've waited a couple days to hear from them, and in that time, I have gone into a full spiral, right? I'm like, man, they don't like me, they don't want to be my friend anymore, I forgot to bring that casserole, so they think I'm self-centered, I am self-centered, no one should be my friend, right, down the hole we go. And then a couple days later, we hear from the friend, and they're like, hey, I'm so sorry I didn't get back to you earlier, I lost my phone. You're like, oh, it's fine, no big deal, what's up? It's crazy, right? But perception is not fact. And I saw this all the time living abroad. Someone would say something, and it felt 
super offensive to me. Was it offensive? Or was it just a cultural difference? Or maybe was there some pain that was informing how the person was speaking? And then if we want to get really ugly, was there maybe something that I said that was offensive and I had no idea? So if our perception is not fact, then how do we diversify it, right? How do we give more explanations to what we're seeing and selecting? We have to have different filters to do that. And these filters kind of speak to what Brene Brown suggests we do, which is these filters help us assume the most generous thing about the people in our lives, their intentions, and then to check in on it. The way that we perceive and interpret these things impact the start of conversations and ultimately the outcome. So let's give some examples. What are these filters, real life things that you can apply tomorrow? Some filters that help us to expand our understandings, our perceptions. The first set of filters is internal versus external. So let me give you an example. Let's say I'm going about my daily routine and it's the morning and I'm noticing my husband is being very quiet. First thought, he's mad at me, right? I'm sure I'm the only person on the planet that's done that. A coworker is being extra quiet, it's about me, they're mad at me. That is an internal filter. We're making assumptions about their internal state. Well, what if I look at an external factor? So maybe my husband just didn't sleep very well, and so he's a little tired. That's a little bit more generous of an explanation, right? And we can apply this to ourselves, too. So maybe I said something the night before that was kind of unfair, and I feel kind of guilty about it, and so that morning, I'm reading into everything with a guilty conscience. I'm assuming he should be mad at me. That's internal. Or maybe I'm the one that didn't sleep well, and so I'm really crabby, and I'm just looking for literally anything to be upset about. Right? That's external. Another filter that we can run our perceptions through is stable versus unstable. So this basically asks the question, is this something that is always true? Or is this something that will change over time? Maybe it's specific to a certain situation. So maybe Gage is being quiet, but you know what? Gage has never been a morning person, so it's kind of unfair for me to expect anything otherwise. That's stable. And unstable, you know, we're in the middle of a big pandemic, and he's really stressed about job security. So that'll change over time, but maybe that's impacting how he's navigating life. Maybe he's a bit more quiet. And lastly, we have the filter of responsible versus not responsible. So this asks, is this behavior something within this person's control or based on things outside of their control? So maybe I left a mess in the, in the kitchen and Gage is frustrated, so he's just being really passive aggressive, just taking it out on me with silence. Or is he processing the sudden unexpected loss of a friend? When we start to consider these different filters, we start to tell better stories about what we're perceiving. And again, why does this matter? Dr. Julia Wood says how we account for others' actions affect our feelings about them and our relationships with them. So obviously how we feel about them and what our relationship looks like impacts how our communication goes. There's also some pretty significant biblical application here. One of my favorite new authors, Oshita Moore, 
she has a book called Shalom Sister, Shalom Sisters, uh, ironically sent to me by my cousin with the tooth filling. <laughs> but she encourages us to do exactly that, to tell better stories. If someone does something or says something that totally rubs you the wrong way and you think it's personal, take a beat. Rather than assuming the worst right away, what are some other stories that you can tell? What else could be going on in their life? So here's an excerpt from her book. She says, when we say, I will tell better stories, we are asking the Holy Spirit to empower us with the same forgiveness that Jesus displayed on the cross. We are asking for eyes to see the fear behind the behavior, sorry, the fear behind the violence, the sadness behind the anger, the person behind the behavior. When a person shows you who they are, believe that they did not get there on their own and tell a better story. It's powerful, no? And later she says that we are in danger of dishonoring Jesus by picking up the sword of angry, accusatory words against people when he is prepared to sacrificially love and accept them. When we choose to tell better stories, it kind of is a sacrifice, right? Maybe we're entitled to fight back, or we need to defend ourselves, or we know them. But it is a sacrifice to lead with love and think, what if I considered a different option? We see this perfectly exemplified in one of my favorite communication theories, and this is called the fundamental attribution error. So the fundamental attribution error says that we overestimate the internal factors and underestimate the external factors in others. Okay, so what does this look like? Let's say I'm supposed to meet somebody for lunch and they're late. Because I'm a human, I am more prone to assume that they're late because of internal factors. You don't respect me, you don't care about me, you don't care about my time, you're lazy. And I tend to ignore the external factors. You know, you have a young kid that you're trying to get in the car, you have a new job, so your schedule's kind of out of whack, there was a wreck on I-10. These are all things that are external. And now this gets very interesting because we do the exact opposite for ourselves. So we underestimate the internal and we overestimate the external. So you better believe if I'm the one who's late, what's the story I'm saying? Someone hid my keys, I couldn't find my shoes, the weather was bad, there was traffic, all kinds of external explanations. And meanwhile, I'm not looking internal and thinking, yeah, you know what, I have poor time management skills. I didn't really consider how this would impact the other person, or maybe I consistently overbook myself. So the point in considering all of these things is to go for balance, right? To look at the internal and external for the other person and for us. Ashita Moore says, the point isn't to get the details right. It doesn't matter, like we don't need to get to the bottom, like did you really lose your keys or did you just not watch the clock? That's not the point. The point is that you have a change of heart because how we feel about others impacts how we understand them and how we communicate with them. 
So we see that perception is very important to communication. And so we need to form our perceptions carefully, and then we need to check for accuracy. So how do we do that? Here are five guidelines for carefully forming perceptions. The first thing is that we recognize that all perceptions are partial and subjective, including yours, all of them. All perceptions are partial and subjective. The second thing, if we want to form careful perceptions, is that we avoid mind reading. It is so dangerous to assume that we know the intention of the other person or their motive. So with the assumption that we don't know that, we need to ask. Okay, cool, we ask about it, but how am I supposed to do that without blowing up into a big fight? I'm very glad you asked. I'm gonna give you a formula, but first, I need to talk about tone. Because I can give you this formula, but if you dive into this conversation with a haughty attitude, there will absolutely be fireworks, and then you'll be really upset with me because I will have led you astray. So you need to go into this conversation sincerely wanting to understand, with an air of humility and grace. And this is not a text message conversation, okay? You don't use this formula in a text message because texts don't include tone and emotion. This is a face-to-face -face conversation. So here's the formula. If you want to check your perception, the first thing that you do is you state what you've noticed. From there, you check if the other person perceives the same thing. Thirdly, if necessary, you ask them to explain their behavior. And then fourth, once they've done so, summarize what you've heard and ask if you're understanding correctly. So let's look at an example. Maybe I have noticed someone's being extra quiet. So I approach them with that thing that I've noticed, right? I say, hey, I've noticed you've been a bit more quiet recently. Do you feel the same way? Maybe the person's like, oh, no, I had no idea. Okay, cool, it wasn't intentional. Or if it was, they don't feel comfortable talking to me about it. But if the person says, yeah, I've noticed that, okay. Now you can ask them to explain their behavior. Yeah, so is there a reason that you've been more quiet in group recently? Now it's important that you've opened that door. So once somebody starts to come in and tell you why they're responding a certain way, it is so important that you don't start dismissing them. Well, that's not fair, that's not what really happened. Okay, well, they didn't say that. That's not helpful. So what do you say? Someone tells you their experience, you summarize what you've heard, and then ask if it's correct. Okay, so what I hear you saying is that you don't feel like your opinions are valued because they're different than the groups, is that right? And that gives them a chance to hone in on some of the nuances. Maybe they say, well, kind of, it's more so just this one person. Or maybe they say, but it's not my opinions, it's everything. This really helps you to get down to the nitty gritty, right? What's actually going on here? And so it prevents miscommunication, but then on top of that, it gives you a chance to communicate love, right? You're communicating to the other person that I care about understanding you and I care about listening to you explain where you're coming from. That's so important. So that's a really effective way to form a careful perception. The third is that we distinguish between fact and inference. 
and especially in the way that we speak, whether it's internal or literal speak. So if I say a statement like, Chris is mad at me, that's pretty declarative, right? There's not a lot of room for other interpretations. So instead, I need to start adding tentative language. It seems like Carissa is upset with me. Or maybe Carissa may be upset with me. This gives our internal thought life, and maybe even others around us, a chance to consider a different alternative. Could something else be going on? The fourth thing is that we guard against the fundamental attribution error. So again, this is the idea that I overestimate the internal in you and disregard the external, and I disregard the internal for me and overestimate the external. And so said clearly in one sentence, I need to lead with external generosity and internal humility. And again, the goal here is balance, just to look at all the things that could be going on. Because I know some of us tend to take on all the blame and assume that no one ever has any responsibility. And that's not healthy either. So let's make sure that we're just considering all of the things so that we can check back in on it later. And then lastly, if we want to carefully form perceptions, we need to be curious and then stay curious about others. This basically means just get to know each other better, right? When I'm talking to you, do I have a cognitively complex view of you? Or do I think that you're just a boss? Or are you a boss that's also a new mom, that also struggles with anxiety? Do I consider things that I only know to be true about you now? Or do I consider backstory? Are there things from your past that are impacting today? In order to do that, we need to spend time interacting with people, right? So we need to learn about each other. Dr. Wood says, the more we interact with another and the greater the variety of experiences we have together, the more insight we gain into the other's motives, feelings, and behaviors. So learn about the other person so you can communicate well with them, but also ask yourself, am I consistently in a situation where I am being offended, where people are communicating to me in a way that is inappropriate and I won't have it? If that's the case, maybe you need to let others get to know you a little better so they can understand how to talk to you. And it's so important that as we learn about each other, we're not learning about each other just to judge them, right? That's so unhelpful. So as you learn about people, suspend your judgment because we can't appreciate someone else's perspective or life experience when we impose our own evaluations of that experience. We need to suspend it for just a second. Austin Channing Brown says this so poetically in her book, I'm Still Here. She's talking about a painful experience, and she notes on one person who did an exceptional job of responding to her pain. And she says, this person acknowledged the depth of my pain without making excuse for it. So if someone takes a moment to trust you as a safe space and tell you what they're really feeling or things that have gone into the way that they're behaving, if the first thing you do is say, well, that's not true, or okay, you're kind of over-exaggerating, you are no longer a safe space. So in that moment, you need to sit with that person and truly try to understand where they are coming from. So there we have it. That is communication 101. 
we've taken a minute to look and define communication, and we see that there's a whole lot that goes into it. We see how it builds on each other and on all the different components, and that, that creates meaning. And we see that these meanings are subjective and that they influence our relationships with each other. And so if we want to understand these meanings, we really need to explore and engage in dual perspective taking. Some of you are probably thinking, oh man, my mind is racing right now. I'm thinking of so many situations, so many things, but what about this and what about that? Well, don't worry, we have more. So part two really is the nitty gritty, lots of skills, and it takes into account communication climates. Can your difficult relationship even hold a hard conversation? What are some ways that you can navigate emotions in heated debates or topics? The last week, we'll put all of this together and we'll look at how to prepare and organize for a hard conversation. And of course, again, there is a Q&A, so feel free to email in your questions, anything that you want to know about. In that last session, I'll do my best to answer as many as possible. And so before I send you out, I do have a couple homework assignments. The first thing is that I want you to write down one thing that really caught your attention. Just one thing that you are going to think about this week and maybe even look to practice it. The second homework item is to tell better stories. If somebody offends you or says something that rubs you the wrong way, instead of rushing to conclusions and responding, I want you to take a beat and consider all the other stories. Tell a more gracious, generous story. And lastly, this will be the homework assignment through the entire series. I want you to pray. I want you to think about that person that you have a heated relationship with. Pray about that relationship. Consider maybe the conversation you know you have to have that you are not looking forward to, and pray for that. And lastly, pray over yourself. Because it's very easy to listen to something like this and be like, yep, that has my husband written all over it, or oh, gosh, that's so her. That's not helpful. That's not helpful for you, it's not helpful for them. So start to pray that the Lord would reveal areas that you can work on. And so I've really been focusing on Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Because we'll start to see that communication is contagious. And so the more that we look internally at ourselves, the better communicators we become as individuals and then collectively as a whole. So thank you so much for coming along on this journey, and I am so excited to talk to you next week. Have a good one.